Good morning again, everyone. This morning we're continuing in our series, continuing in our series, Higher Up and Higher In. And uh, this series is all about hearing the Holy Spirit invite us into deeper places of intimacy with the Lord. Who here wants to plateau? Who here desires to just stop where you're at? Hopefully none of us, right? God has designed us to keep going, to keep walking. And I hope when I'm 99 that I still am pressing on to learn more about God. And so no matter where you're at today, young or old or somewhere in between, God is inviting you to learn more about him. And here's wonder of wonders. We're going to spend eternity learning about God. And when eternity has passed you'll have just as much to learn about God as when you started. Because he is limitless. He is beyond. He is other. He's God. So how much more so today, in this finite place, in time and space, should we take that invitation from the Lord seriously to learn about him and to press on further up and further into his presence? Anyone here ever done any mountain climbing? All right. Was it easy? Yeah, yeah. Depends on what kind of mountain we're talking about. Any, so, so I've had the, the great privilege of um, visiting Colorado a number of times in my life and uh, doing some mountain climbing in Colorado. And uh, I've climbed uh, a mountain a couple times called um, Horn, Horn Creek. Is that, is that Horn Peak? That's the name of the mountain. It's in Horn, it's the camp that you stay at is, is Horn Creek uh, Camp, and it's, it's Horn Peak, yeah. So um, when, you're climbing, when you're climbing and the, you, you reach altitude, every step that you take higher, it gets more difficult to breathe, and it gets harder uh, to go up. Coming down is easy. You can like fly down, but when you're getting into the upper reaches and you're getting close to that 14,000 foot, and that's not even all that high compared to some mountains that people climb. But when you're getting in that like 14,000 foot range and like every breath is just high and it's hard work climbing. But when you get to the top, when you reach the peak and you look out and you see the wonders of God's creation stretching out in every direction and you see the snow-capped peaks in the distance and you see birds, and you just see, you know, that view. Oh, man, it makes it all worth it, every, every one of those painful steps. So this morning, the reason I bring that up is we're going to be talking about mountain climbing. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a mountain climber. God made you to be a mountain climber. Metaphorically, I'm reminded. Last week, we we looked at the picture of the tabernacle and how in the Old Covenant, everything about the tabernacle and the temple screamed, stay out. Don't come any closer. Because if you come any closer and you come any nearer to God's presence, you will surely die. Stay out. And then Jesus came. And Hebrews 9 and 10 tells us because he's our great high priest 
And Matthew 27 tells us that when he gave up his spirit freely to God, the, temp- the, the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, and the message is no longer stay out. Because of Christ, our high priest, what's the message now? Come in. Come in. Press further in. Don't be scared of entering the Holy of Holies. That's God's invitation. And what's more, he's put his Holy of Holies inside of you because you're his temple, so you carry the Holy of Holies with you wherever you go. This morning, we're going to look at the picture of the mountain of God. And just like with the tabernacle, where it screamed, stay out, under the old covenant, when it came to the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, where he gave his law, everything about the mountain said, stay back, stay down. But the writer of Hebrews says, we have not come to Mount Sinai, we've come to Mount Zion. So when Moses led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and they came to Mount Sinai where God gave them the law and the old covenant, we come to Exodus chapter 19. And it says in verse 7, So Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord commanded him. And all the people responded together, We will do everything the Lord has commanded. So Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so the people themselves can hear me when I speak to you. Then they will always trust you. Moses told the Lord what the people had said. Then the Lord told Moses, go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothing Be sure they are ready on the third day, for on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai as all the people watch. Mark off a boundary all around the mountain. All right, notice this. Warn the people. Be careful. Do not go up on the mountain or even touch its boundaries. Anyone who touches the mountain will certainly be put to death. No hand may touch the person or camel that crosses the boundary. Instead, stone them or shoot them with arrows. That's pretty rough. So not, here's the mountain, and God says to Moses, go down and warn the people that I'm going to come down upon this mountain in a cloud, and I'm going to speak. And nobody can be on the mountain When I speak, because when I come down, my presence comes down in the cloud. If anyone so much as steps foot on the edge, I mean, we're talking about like if here's the mountain slope, like if you're like coming right up onto the edge, it's boundary, that person shall surely be put to death. And then here's the implications. If someone's going to cross that boundary, don't grab them and pull them back. If someone's going to cross that boundary, pick up stones or pick up your arrows and shoot them and put them to death yourself. That's pretty serious. Stay back. Don't touch the mountain. God's presence is coming down. Can you imagine like your kids running up to the foot? He breaks free. You know what I mean? Our little children run wild. You ever lost your child? In a crowd, your child ever run off in the grocery store or, or uh, at the mall and you go running after them? Anyone comes up to that boundary, you pick up your arrow, you pick up your stones, and you stone them. They must be put to death. However, 
when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, then the people may go up the mountain. This, this isn't quite clear, but it's saying that, that the, the horn is going to come from God. Like no one blows this horn. God blows this horn. So there's going to be a, a trumpet sound that comes from God. Then you may go up the mountain. <laughs> so the serious warning and then the trumpet sound. Then you, then, then you may go on the mountain. So Moses went down to the people. He consecrated them for worship and they washed their clothes. He told them, get ready for the third day and until then abstain from having sexual intercourse. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God, and they stood on the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke, because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God thundered his reply. The Lord came down on the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses climbed the mountain. Then the Lord told Moses, go back down and warn the people not to break through. So Moses climbs up the mountain and God says to him, you go back down and warn them again. How serious I am about this. Don't let them break through. So Moses goes up the mountain. He goes right back down. So Moses Even uh, God says, go back down and warn the people not to break through the boundaries to see the Lord or they will die. Even the priests, even the priests who regularly come near to the Lord must purify themselves so that the Lord does not break out and destroy them. Then skipping ahead one chapter, Exodus 20 verse 18. When the people heard the thunder... And the loud blast of the ram's horn. And when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us. Or we will surely die. Don't let God speak directly to us or we will surely die. Don't be afraid, Moses answered them. For God has come in this way to test you and so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. As the people stood in the distance, Moses approached the dark cloud where God was. Moving ahead again to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy is the retelling of the law at the end of Moses' life. So Moses is about to die And he recounts the exodus and he recounts the giving of the law. It's sort of his final will and testament to the people of Israel. And he's reminding them 40 years earlier what happened because the wilderness has happened in between these passages. So this is Moses' memory 40 years later of, of that time. But when you heard the voice, verse 23, Deuteronomy 5, when you heard the voice from the heart of the darkness while the mountain was blazing with fire, All your tribal leaders and elders came to me. They said, look, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice from the heart of the fire. Today we have seen that God can speak to us humans, and yet we live. But now, why should we risk death again? If the Lord our God speaks to us again, we will certainly die. 
Notice this word, be consumed by this awesome fire. Everybody say consumed. You will be consumed by this awesome fire. If the Lord our God speaks to us again, we will certainly die and be consumed. Can any living thing hear the voice of the living God from the heart of the fire as we did and yet survive? Go yourself and listen to what the Lord our God says. Then come and tell us everything he tells you. And we will certainly listen and obey. Everything about that first mountain says stay back. Stay back. Stay off. Don't let God speak to us or we will be consumed. Don't let God speak to us or we will certainly die. God comes down in smoke and darkness and fear and there's trembling. But then Jesus came. Just like with the tabernacle. But then Jesus came. The writer of Hebrews chapter 12, speaking of this time, he says to us, followers of Christ and to those first believers, You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. No, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself. Who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven. Who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus. The one who mediates the new covenant between God and people. And to the sprinkled blood. Which speaks forgiveness. Instead of crying out for vengeance. Like the blood of Abel. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe for God is a devouring fire or a better translation, I think. Our God is a consuming fire. Here's some brilliant artwork by yours truly. Here's how I would picture what's happening here. There's two mountains. Each of them represent covenants of God. The first covenant is Mount Sinai. Paul talks about this too. The second mountain is Mount Zion, which represents the new covenant. The base of the new covenant, the base of Mount Zion, the covenant that we live in, the mountain upon 
which we walk is built upon the peaks of the old one. So Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, any scribe in the kingdom is like a homeowner who goes in and brings out treasures both old and new. Jesus also said, I didn't come to nullify the law, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. So Jesus didn't cancel what was before, but he fulfilled it and then built upon it. So we see Mount Sinai is the foundation, even though it's the old covenant, it's the foundation of the new covenant. And on that first mountain, everything about it screams, stay back. And it's represented by fire, gloom, darkness, clouds. And on that first peak, on Mount Sinai, there's blood that runs down it. And it's the blood of Abel. And, and by the writer of Hebrews, what do we know that the blood of Abel cries out for? For what? For judgment. The blood of Abel cries out for judgment. Because he was murdered. And there needs to be justice. And there needs to be payment for sin. And for transgressions. And so the blood that represents that mountain is a blood of vengeance and judgment. Everybody remember where Jesus said about John the Baptist that he's the greatest prophet who ever lived? And then what's he say next? That, but, he says to you, I tell you, even the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. So this is my uh, picture of how that works. You see that, that big, bigger stick figure there on the top of the first covenant? That represents John the Baptist. You see the smaller stick figure on the base of the other mountain? That represents the least in the kingdom of heaven. Who has the greater view? The least. The least in the kingdom of heaven, built upon the the peak, the foundation of which is upon the peak of the highest peaks of the first covenant, is higher and greater than the first. So in other words, if Shaquille O'Neal was here today, first of all, that that would be really cool if Shaquille O'Neal was here. And I'm I'm like, as you can tell, I'm a really tall guy. And so if I was standing next to Shaquille O'Neal, who would be taller? It wouldn't even be close, right? I might come up to like his belly button. <laughs> like, have you ever seen replicas of his shoe? They're like, they're like this big. The dude's shoes. So if we're standing in a crowd, who can see further? Clear, clearly he can. He's, he's greater than I am. Now, if I have a stepladder and I climb it, even, even though I'm short, shorter than him, and once again, we're, we're in a crowd, and now his head is here because I've climbed up a stepladder, right? Who can see further? Me. Even the least in the kingdom of God is greater than the greatest prophet who ever lived. So I don't know how you think about yourself. You might think of yourself as the least of these. And Paul himself said about himself, I'm the least of the, uh, the apostles. What God has given you to see in Christ is greater than what Moses saw. What God has given you in Christ is greater than what John the Baptist who walked with Jesus saw. Because what we see 
when we look to God is our resurrected king. John did not live to see that. We do. Which is the whole point of Hebrews 11. All of these heroes of the faith, they, prom- they, they were promised something and they looked forward to it, but they didn't see it. But we do. We get to see what they didn't see. And so the very base of the mountain, if, if all you know about Jesus is that he's God's son, that he lived in the flesh, that he died for our sins and was resurrected into glory and is reigning, if that's what you know about God, that's the extent of your relationship with him, you see greater things, greater things than those who climbed the peaks of the old covenant. That's the lens through which all of God's people are called to live. Now, that's not the end of all things. That's, that's sort of the, the, the milk of our faith, right? That's the starting point of our faith, knowing Jesus in that way. And we get to learn about him over and over again. Now, Mount Zion, rather than being illustrated by darkness and gloom, the writer contrasts that picture with the picture of Mount Zion, Jerusalem, by saying, you have come to the new Jerusalem. You've come to innumerable, thousands upon thousands of angels. You have communion with the saints, those whose names are written in heaven, made perfect by God. The righteous made perfect. It says, you've come to God himself. And then he goes on to say, you have come to Jesus himself. This is the mountain that in Christ we have come to. Now there's blood that flows down this mountain too. This blood speaks a different word. The blood of Abel speaks a word of judgment and vengeance that flows down the old covenant. What does the blood of Jesus speak? Forgiveness. The mountain upon which we climb, that God has called us to walk in, there's blood that flows down it. And the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Jesus speaks a word of forgiveness and reconciliation with God. Who here can bear the weight of their sins? Who here can bear the weight of God's judgment, of your rejection and transgressions? Christ alone. Christ alone. And so when his blood flows upon you, it speaks a better word. It speaks a word of forgiveness and reconciliation, which is why James, in chapter 2, says there is certainly judgment, but... Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And while everything in the first covenant screams stay back, everything about the new covenant says come up, come in, come learn more about God, hear directly from him. Hear God's voice. Listen to his voice. Experience his fire. I think we're often tempted to think of God as a campfire. This is a temptation in my life. It's a temptation to think of God like a campfire that I can stoke and control at my own will. Oh, I'm hungry for God's presence right now, so I'm going to throw some logs on there. Oh, I feel, I feel like my faith is, is burning down, so I'm going to blow some air. I get down on my knees. I put a couple logs on, maybe read some verses or, you know, whatever, read a book, and get down and I'm blowing air, trying to stoke this flame. God is not a campfire that you can control. 
That is not the type of fire God is. God is a devouring, consuming fire. Everybody remember the fires that were taking place in California a few, a few weeks ago? How many millions of dollars were poured into trying to stop that? How many thousands of people put, were, you know, that were, had, had to be removed from their homes and, and hundreds of people fighting this fire? And at best, at best, and this is a human physical fire, at best, all, all that they could do was contain it until it finally burned down and the wind stopped blowing. That's like a weak picture of what the fire of God is, right? It is beyond, beyond what we can control. And this is the warning of the writer of Hebrews when he writes, after saying, go freely up to God, experience his presence. You've come to God himself and Jesus himself. But he means, he says once again, verse 26, I will shake not, not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God, worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. So even though the blood of Jesus speaks forgiveness, and even though the Spirit beckons, come further up, come further into my presence, there is certainly a warning that comes with it, and there's, a, uh, there's still righteousness and holiness that we're to walk out. There's still obedience. And, it, and there, this warning is almost like, if the people were so scared of the voice that was on earth, how much more seriously should we take God's invitation into his holy presence from the, from the voice that comes from heaven through Christ? So this isn't to be taken lightly, even though it's a free invitation in its presence. It's this sort of paradox where God is continually inviting all people. He says in Peter and in other places, my desire is that none should perish. God's desire is that all should come to him and all should receive salvation, that none should die, that all should live. And yet, there is this warning that it's not universal in the sense that we still have to go through the cross. We still have to go through Christ. And we still must obey the words of Jesus and follow him. And his warning was very serious as well. If anyone wants to be my follower, you have to take up your cross and die. This picture of fire, I want you to sit in the tension of it. Because on one hand, we have the fear of fire in the old covenant where it's stay back because God is a devouring, consuming fire and, and you will die. In this new covenant, we have the picture where God is inviting people into his presence. In fact, he's inviting people into the midst of his fire because what represents the spirit? Fire. God invites people actually into the consuming fire. What happens to a sacrifice? It's burned. What does Paul say we are? Therefore you are living sacrifices. We are to be consumed by the fire of God. God wants to consume you as his living sacrifice with his fire, the fire of his spirit, the fire of his presence. And we are to worship him with fear. This isn't the kind of fear that's like scared of an abusive father fear. This is the kind of fear that takes it seriously. 
to know that we were bought at a cost. It cost God to love us. The blood that flows down the mountain is not cheap blood. It's not cheap grace. It's the blood of his precious son poured out for us. God is not a campfire that you can control and just stoke whenever you feel like it. God is a consuming fire and you are to be a living sacrifice devoured by his presence night and day, day and night. I want to walk with the Lord in such a way where I'm consumed by him. I don't want to just relegate him to certain times and certain places. You know what I mean? And treat him like a campfire. Like when I wake up, I have my 45 minutes of, or half hour, whatever it is, of Bible time, and then I go about my way, and because I stoked that little campfire, I'm good. How often do we treat God like that? We spent a couple weeks talking about different postures towards God, and one of the postures was living life from God, which is a consumeristic posture. That's what that is. When you think you can just stoke God's fire when you want, how you want, where you want, if you want, if you feel like it, if you're down, or, you know, whatever the circumstances, now I need God. He's a divine vending machine. I'm hungry, God. I need a Snickers. You're not yourself when you're hungry. God is is not a campfire. <laughs> every moment of every every day, God desires to walk with you. Why were you born? You were, and how are you called to live? You're called to live life with God. That means you're called to live life aflame. God has called you to live life aflame. I had you, last week, I, I had you think of your least favorite thing that you have to do and your favorite thing that you get to do throughout your life. And I challenged you from now on, when you do your least favorite thing, invite God to be present with you when you're doing that thing. When you're doing your favorite thing, I challenge you to enjoy God in the midst of doing that thing that you love. Invite him in and think about his presence in the midst of that. Cultivate his burning within you. Cultivate his presence as you, as you walk your life. If anything, you're the campfire, not him. You know what I mean? You need to be stoked. You need to be stirred. You need his spirit to blow upon you. And yet we're tempted to think of God and reverse the roles. Let God's spirit blow upon you and tend the flame that he's called you to be. Let him consume you as you walk up the mountain of God. The commentator George Guthrie in the NIV application commentary on Hebrews says this about Hebrews chapter 12, and he's looking at the two different mountains. He says, the sense of terror at Sinai, a place of noise and macabre, that's a fun word. It just means like horror. Images flashes like lightning against a black storm cloud. Note further that the images in verses 12 to 21 are highly impersonal. Here we have fire, storm, gloom, warning, and a disembodied voice. God is pictured as a disembodied voice. Everything about this picture of Sinai says, stay away. Do not come any closer. By contrast, Mount Zion depicts utter joy and excitement. 
the gathering of the angels, the assembly of the firstborn, the spirits of those who have gone on to be with the Lord resemble the revelry of a national holiday. Moreover, mark how utterly personal and relational the images of verses 22 to 24 are. We have come to God, our vindicator, angels and other believers, and our Lord Jesus in contrast to the Sinai portrait. Everything about Zion says, come, belong here, be a part of this community. There is no better place to be. Man, I am so thankful that even though in many ways I'm one of the least of these in the kingdom of heaven, that I'm standing upon that mountain today with you, brothers and sisters. And that God's invitation through his spirit and through the ministry of his son and the reconciliation that comes through his blood speaks to us a better word today. Come further up. Come further in to my presence. Hear my voice. Experience what it's like to walk with me. Now that, if we were to step back, that mountain wouldn't just stop there because it goes on and on and on and on forever, which is what we're going to spend eternity in the new heavens and the new earth doing. Climbing and climbing and exploring and looking and listening and experiencing all the joys and the wonders of God's new creation, which reflect all the joys and all the wonders of God himself. The great hope of the Old Testament It culminates in Christ, but there's a prophetic word that says, the glory of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. We've yet to fully experience what that will be like. We've had a foretaste of it in Christ, but there will be a day when you cannot step outside of God's manifest glory. You can't take a step outside of it because it will cover the earth that we walk upon as the waters cover the how do the waters cover the sea? What does that even mean? How does water cover the sea? It is the sea. The glory of the Lord will be the earth. It will be the earth itself. Everything will cry out. Hear, hear Christ's invitation up his mountain today. From Matthew chapter 11, he says, My father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. We have come to the mountain where Jesus himself sits. We've come to the mountain, the writer of Hebrews says, we've come to Jesus himself, and this is what Jesus says. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Father, just in prayer this morning for each of us, God, I pray that we would be able to hear your voice clearly through the ministry of the Spirit. Jesus, you said on the night before you were crucified, you said, I have to go so that my Father can send the Spirit and it will be better for you 
to have the Spirit in you than it will be to continue with me in the same way. And then you said about the Spirit that it would come to convict us of two things. It would come to convict us of righteousness and of sin. Always in God, always in your word, there seems to be those two things, Lord, where there's a conviction of what is right and a warning of what to stay away from. And God, this morning, as we think about your fire and we think about you consuming us as your living sacrifice, God, I pray that in each person here, God, that your spirit would convict what is righteousness What does it mean to be right with God? What does it mean to be aligned with God? What does it mean to know that you are in alignment with him because of Christ? I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who gave himself up for me. But we also pray that you would convict us, God, of sin. God, I pray that each of us would be convicted through the ministry of your spirit today, of the ways that we treat you like a campfire. The ways that we still act like we're living on the old mountain. The ways, God, that we hurt our brother and sister. The ways that we act like the Levite and the priest in the story of the Good Samaritan and avoid those that you've called us to show mercy towards. God, I would just ask that the application of this word today would be the convicting ministry of your spirit within us of both righteousness and sin. Our God is a consuming fire. God, I pray that each of us would be consumed by that fire today. We would walk with you and carry your presence in the tabernacle, up the mountain, into the wilderness and all the places of work and home that you call us, God, that we would be the presence bearers that you've called us to be. We pray this in your name. Amen. Before we transition into the budget, let's stand and sing the doxology again uh, together in just uh, closing this time. <laughs>